millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 19 of the World Soccer Talk podcast, we discuss what will be left of Fox Sports for fans of European soccer after they lose the Champions League, which league is gaining ground on the Premier League uh, TV ratings in the USA, as well as tons of news for you from NASL, women's soccer, and Turner Sports. I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you, great. And uh, my name's Christopher Harris, uh, a.k.a. The Gaffer. So, Kartik, we're going to jump right into what we've been watching, and uh, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll kick off. But feel free to join in uh, if you uh, saw any of these or you want to join in in terms of uh, some of the things that you saw. So, I'm going to go probably all around, all over the place, but I finally caught up on uh, Behind the Badge, the uh, the documentary series on the Premier League uh, on NBC, uh, SN, and it's the one on West Bromwich Albion. So, episode one we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I caught up on episode two and three this past weekend. Uh, one of the interesting things for me, too, is that whenever I'm w- watching these um, Behind the Badge series, I'm always learning something different. Sometimes it's, it's, it's uh, like, for example, with West Brom, I was kind of learning more about uh, their song in terms of uh, My Lord is My Shepherd and kind of the, the lyrics to that. So that's something I never knew. And I would hear oftentimes uh, from the Hawthorns, kind of the fans singing, but I didn't know what the words were and didn't know what it was, but now I do. But um, in terms of episode two, uh, what I liked was the performance analysis, uh, where they talked to the head person there and uh, his team, and they took you through kind of a Monday through Thursday um, scenario for a typical uh, week with a Premier League match on a weekend, and how from Monday through Thursday they compiled the stats, the video, uh, the research, and uh, key observations of their next opponent's and put that into video and then into PowerPoint form and then share that with uh, Tony Pulis. And then what they do once they've got uh, the feedback from Tony Pulis, essentially what they do then is take five minutes chunks of those video clips for each individual player on the West Brom team and then uh, send that to their mobile phone. And then on the, for that five minutes, that has all this, all the stats or video that uh, they need to watch for the player, either their marking um, or the, the player that they're attacking. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, the other thing, too, is they talked about on Thursdays, pretty much every Thursday of a typical uh, week in the Premier League, uh, the West Brom players work on their attacking shape in the coaching. 
And then on Fridays, then they work on their defensive shape. So they spend all day working on attacking sh- a shape on a Thursday and then defensive shape on a, th- on a, on a Friday. And I think car ticket just goes to show in terms of uh, how, uh, how, how well West Brom's doing this season, but in terms of how organized they are, some great structure in place in terms of uh, getting the most out of these players. And then Kartik, uh, episode- yeah, no. Okay, go ahead. The, the analytics thing. I mean, I, I thought this was the best, uh, I, I thought behind the badge three was the best, um, episode we've had in the series. Not, not just West Brom, but Crystal Palace and Watford as well. I, I, I thought that, um, you know, you saw so much of, uh, of, uh, I guess this goes back to, uh, episode two, two and three. When you talk about the analytics, the, because trust me, this is what goes on at a football club. Uh, just last night at, uh, Boca Raton FC, a dinner for the players and staff and everybody associated with the club. It ended up being a four-hour dinner. I had to give my presentation as the VP of communications. But the most fascinating thing was the analytics. We had fitness performance. Uh, uh, we have a fitness performance rating for each player that's done, and it's being compared with a club that is in. Now we weren't specifically, but a club that is in the, is in, uh, the football league, but not a, uh, conference club, but not a Premier League club in England. And, uh, all our players with the exception of one failed the fitness test relative to this other club. And I right away thought about the West Brom, what I had learned on behind the badge, uh, just uh, a week ago about those sorts of tests. And then we had, uh, uh, another kind of, uh, health and analytics, uh, uh, yeah, we also had a health and, uh, health and analytics performance, brain scans, uh, also, uh, analytics about player, uh, psychology, and, and all of this stuff is going to be tracked this season by Boca Raton FC, which shows you that the, what we saw in the behind the band episode, which I think some fans might think, oh, it's overkill and it's just being done for the TV cameras, even at the level of a fourth division club in the United States, we're implementing these same kind of sports science and performance analytics, uh, mechanisms as you saw in the West Brom documentary. It's a big part of football now. Now, I know there's some older managers who don't necessarily believe in that stuff, uh, but as they get phased out uh, and you get younger managers in and managers who do believe in this stuff, uh, and there are even some old-school managers who do. I think it's important for our listeners. I know I've harped on this on this podcast for years, but uh, important for our listeners to understand Tony Pulis and Sam Allardyce particularly Allardyce, have been on the cutting edge of sports science and using analytics in football. There's been this media narrative that's been painted of both of these guys that they're they're uh, old-timers and old-schoolers. But when it comes to this stuff, they've been, quite frankly, ahead of the curve uh, compared to most British managers. And you saw it in this West Brom documentary. And it's just becoming more and more a part of football. I mean, as I said, at the, at the fourth division level in the United States, our club, uh, and, I, and I'll admit that there are even NASL clubs, second division, that don't do this, but our club is implementing all of these same things you saw in that West Brom documentary. Yeah, and the the I guess the risk with this kind of series too is that most people, most people listening right now are not West Brom fans, so probably thinking like, ah, I'm not really interested in West Brom. But I think this this is a type of series. Actually, the whole Behind the Badge series, no matter what club you support, uh, there's always things to learn. There's always some insights. Some some episodes are better than others. Uh, some are pretty boring, but there are, there's always things that I take away from these episodes, and I, and I really appreciate that, um, West Brom and, and, uh, NBC uh, Sports have been doing these, uh, episodes because it is enlightening. 
Uh, episode three, uh, this one I watched, I enjoyed watching too because there's a lot of detail. Just goes to show how much detail goes into planning an away trip. Uh, this one was um, against Everton. And they go into a lot of detail in terms, even the chefs, uh, what they're cooking and how they're, uh, uh, what, what they're eating on each, each, uh, the players are eating, eating on each day, as well as the coordination with the hotel staff, making sure that, uh, they get, uh, the menus and the different types of things that the players want to eat. Uh, lots and lots of detail. And also enjoyed too in, in this episode, uh, they were showing the away fans, West Brom fans going on the, the away bus and showing kind of what their experience is like. Uh, going from uh, West Brom and go- then going to uh, to Liverpool to watch this uh, Everton away match. Um, the only thing I didn't like, and this has always been a pet peeve of mine, but at certain times during episode three, they were using subtitles, and it was uh, Darren Fletcher, who's, uh, who's Scottish. He has an accent, but he's, to me, pretty easy to understand. Um, and I think there was another bloke uh, on the show uh, who was English, it was kind of mumbling a little bit, but they kind of used the subtitles for those uh, sections. And I thought, that well, here, here's here's another thing I loved about the show. Actually, you mentioned it. You got a real insight into Darren Fletcher as the captain, as almost a narrator uh, of the program. Hey, uh, we love Claudio Iacob, but he's always late, right? Um, you know those those sorts of things, um, and, and these little kind of subplots. And then the part about the uh, the supporters and, and their road trips to um, to um, Everton in this case was real interesting. Now I, I don't want to. I, I'm actually um, had rel- relatives and people in my family who support Crystal Palace, and I have uh, a great deal of reverence for everything Watford built under Graham Taylor, in particular with their academy and with Sir Elton John as their owner. But when you talk about West Brom now, you're talking about a traditional English club. You're talking about a bigger club than Palace or Watford, even though the table in the Premier League the last however many years may not reflect that. I think you're seeing a lot more in how a big club operates, a club that is... Uh, always been an, a, a club that's in the top two flights of English football that has a massive fan base and is uh, one of the anchor clubs in uh, one of the three largest metropolitan areas in the, in the UK. I think you're getting a real insight in this series how a club of that size and stature operates. Uh, Watford and Palace are ambitious clubs, maybe plucky little clubs, neighborhood clubs in a way, uh, but West Brom is a pretty big club and, and I, I think you're seeing a lot more uh, of some of this stuff on the side. And also, I have to say, kind of a, a trailblazing club, because it, it is, uh, um, and I, I find this a little bit ironic and maybe positive for the American audience. Uh, the two clubs that I associate with uh, being more open and tolerant to uh, players of African descent or Caribbean descent and breaking them into fo- into English football were West Brom 1 and Watford 2. And so it's, it's kind of good, I think, for the American audience that those have been two of the behind-the-bat series. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, actually, me personally, I've enjoyed this West Brom series more so than the Watford series. The, yeah. the Watford one was pretty decent, but I think the big difference to me was that uh, Tony Pulis speaks English and then uh, Madarazzi speaks a little bit of English, but not enough. So we kind of missed that element from the Watford series as kind of having a really good insight from the manager. 
Now, I guess the one thing we are missing uh, that we did enjoy in the Palace series was the presence of Ian Wright, because he's got a larger-than-life personality and his association with Crystal Palace, although that kind of drove the series, right? It became a lot about Ian Wright um, and and less maybe about Palace. And it also, I have to say, coincided with a a real bad run for Palace. Although this series has coincided with a bad run for for West Brom, uh, except... I think we know what's going to happen in the final episode, which is that they beat uh, Arsenal, oh, which yeah. maybe we'll put that in a minute. Yeah, that'd be great. That would be great. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, though, too. It seems like every single team that's done this series so far, it's it's been when they've gone through a bad pattern. Oh, that's true. Watford, Watford went through a funk also, yeah. and then, ironically enough, uh, they came out of it by beating Arsenal a couple of weeks after the series ended <laughs> at the Emirates. So it's uh, similar. I mean, Arsenal's iconic for all these teams, unfortunately. Um, and uh, I know that's uh, like a subject in a lot of people's minds right. is Arsenal. All right, so let's, let's skip that one. I'm actually going to move to Sunday, uh, Kartik, for the, the Man City against Liverpool match. And I didn't get to watch a lot of this. I only watched a little bit of it. It was my daughter's uh, 13th birthday, so we had a birthday party. Bad planning on my part, but with a birthday party at the same exact time as the match. So I had it on in the background, and I was kind of watching it uh, in and out. Uh, as I was running around, I mean, cooking food and doing cake and all those things. But, um, I, I, I mean, I definitely want to get your insight on this one, Kartik. The one thing I noticed, too, is just every time I came over to watch the game, there was just so many missed chances uh, from both teams, that both Liverpool and Man City, it just seems that they golden opportunities to put the ball in the back of the net and just couldn't seem to do so. Yeah, missed chances galore, most notably uh, Adam Lallana's missed chance, which was uh, real unfortunate because he could have just tapped it in and won um, the game for Liverpool. I don't know if most Manchester non-Manchester City supporters understand this the way I do as a City supporter who watches every game, regardless of competition, but... Uh, Kun Aguero is a guy that against bigger clubs, against the Chelsea's, the Arsenal's, the Liverpool's, maybe not Man United. He's more clinical against United, but, uh, the Tottenham, those four clubs, the other four four big clubs in England, uh, needs three or four chances to score a single goal. And this has consistently been the case since the second season of the club, uh, when Roberto Mancini was still the manager. That was the uh, season Mancini got sacked. And when the games were still on Fox before they were on NBC. So I'm, I'm talking about five seasons now. Um, so I think it's important that folks don't feel like Pep Guardiola is trying to railroad Aguero out of the club because I saw a lot of reaction to that when Aguero said, hey, Aguero uh, had, uh, Guardiola said Aguero had four or five chances or, or implied that and he only, he only scored one of those goals. Uh, this has generally been the case in big games and I think Guardiola might have been aware of it before he got to the club, uh, seeing the last year or two under, uh, under, um, under Manuel Pellegrini, excuse me, I lost, I lost my uh, train of thought there for a minute, and knowing that he needed another striker, which is why he brought Gabriel Jesus in, who could play, be deployed as a winger or as a number nine. Uh, so uh, Aguero was par for the course for him, and uh, it was an open stretch game, it was a fun game, but... All, uh, at the ver- at the, the summary of it was that you had a lot of bad giveaways in defense. You had a lot of blown calls by Michael Oliver. I think, uh, both teams had two, two clear penalties not, uh, not called. And, um, it was entertaining, but 1-1 one, one result, uh, which could have been 3-3 three, three or 4-4. Four, four. And I have to say this again. I hate to say it again. I bring it up every week, but there seems to be an inherent bias against Raheem Sterling. He, um, on the officials, Michael Oliver uh, probably calls that if it's any other player, and 
I just think it's the media narrative that gotten to these officials about Sterling uh, not being a quality player, not being a quality finisher, uh, uh, diving a lot. Uh, I'm not sure if he dives any more than any other player. I and mean, it seems like a lot of times he's, he's taking contact. And I thought he had a fantastic game. He and Leroy Sané were both very good for City. And on the uh, Liverpool side, I thought that uh, that they really missed Jordan Henderson. Emre Sean wants to play in that central role, but I, I tell you, they, they, they're missing something when Henderson's not there. And I thought Firmino had, a, had an excellent game with his work rate. And uh, Lalana had a good game besides the, the missed opportunity, but everyone's going to remember that. And Chris... Mm-hmm. How do you miss a chance like that? That could have been the goal of the season because the build-up play had been so crisp by, uh, oh, yeah. I, I think it was Firmino and was it, uh, Winaldum, uh, Vinaldum that played the initial ball? Uh, I can't remember. I think it was to Firmino and then Firmino to Lalana. If he just tapped it in, it might have been the goal of the season. Instead, I think what happened is he tried to score a goal fitting of the two initial passes. Um, yeah. by scoring with some style and pizzazz and, and whiffed on it. Yeah, yeah, my dad, who's uh, not a soccer fan at all, uh, watched this game. Well, had it on in the background. He's watched it, and he saw the the Lalana miss, and he was like, "How could he miss that?" Um, and it, and it, was, it was so simple, but uh, uh, yeah. But, but in some ways, though, too, I mean, this this match kind of summed up Man City and Liverpool's performances in the past few weeks in terms of the inconsistency. You um, mean kind of hot and cold. Um, but the, the big thing for me, Kartik, from this match was, um, NBC Sports having the coup of getting, uh, Gundogan into the studio to do a tactic session on the board with Robbie Earl. And, uh, this, to me at least, the information that they shared wasn't that enlightening, but it was great to hear it from the player's perspective in terms of say, him saying, okay, well, this is what Pep's been telling us, so this is what he's been focusing on. And that was, to me, was huge in terms of uh, having that first person, having someone come in and share that information. While in the past, we've had, what, Jeff Cameron or Tim Howard uh, doing the co-commentaries, uh, which has been a while since they've done any of that. But in, the, in that instance, yeah, you wouldn't really get, gain that much insight. But this one was, was really, really uh, remarkable in terms of uh, what the coup that NBC Sports got. Yeah, I like... Uh the fact that they were able to get Gundawan in the studio. I don't know if he was visiting New York or, or Boston or someplace in, on the Eastern Seaboard well, in the was, United States for another reason. Well, he was, he was here for the International Champions Cup uh, announcement. So he was in New York. Um, and also he was there at the, the NYCFC game. So it was him and uh, actually uh, Gabriel uh, Jesus was in New York too. Uh, right, the, the injured players. Right, I guess for uh, yeah. So that 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 makes that makes a lot of sense. So that I, I think that that's um, again where you might be able to 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 take advantage of the cross promotion that Manchester City does with New York City FC from time to time if you're NBC and grab one of these guys. So good uh, good awareness by them because it's not the first time that they've sent uh, guys over, but maybe it's generally been during the summer, during the, the heart of the uh, MLS season before, and uh, NBC hasn't been able to take advantage of them. Uh, good good, jo- good shout out there for them. I, I think this was also uh, a massive talking point this game as you got into the ESPN FC shows during the week because uh, uh, Moreno and Burley and Nickel couldn't believe that Pep Guardiola said what he said, which is that he was more proud of the team than just about anything in his football. Football, uh, management career, which includes winning two Champions Leagues with Barcelona, winning three La Ligas, and uh, winning three uh, Bundesliga titles with uh, Bayern. But I think what he meant was they picked themselves off the deck 
and I think that, that this, there's something very important, again, for non-Manchester City fans to understand. Manchester City has a worse record against Liverpool at this point than any other club in England. Uh, in, in, in terms of, you might be thinking Chelsea winning titles and Manchester United competes for titles and Arsenal's always in the top four, but City's record against Liverpool the last few years has been worse than against any of those clubs. And uh, Guardiola himself has a terrible record against Klopp, including it being at Bayern where he would get beat by Klopp uh, at Dortmund, even though uh, uh, Bayern was winning the league. So uh, you're looking at a situation where you're facing your bogey team. Guardiola's facing his bogey coach, so to speak. The coach where he, he's openly said he thinks he's the best coach in the world, probably based on personally losing to him so much. And you're in a position where uh, your team is demoralized from elimination from the Champions League in that, in that classic two legs against Monaco. And you're talking about a Liverpool team that has outscored Manchester City, as I do some rough math in my head, uh, by uh, by a uh, eight, nine, by a, basically an eleven goal margin over the last two seasons. Now, uh, two and a half seasons under both Pellegrini and Guardiola. So, a, a, a team that not only is beating Manchester City but is ripping them open generally when they play them. Now, quite frankly, they ripped them open again this time and created all those chances that they had created in previous uh, meetings. Uh, however, the difference is they didn't finish their chances this time. Maybe they didn't get uh, some good luck with penalty calls and Manchester City gave as good as they got creating chances, not uh, flinching at the punches that Liverpool and Klopp were throwing at them. So I do understand Pep Guardiola's comments. They have to be taken in the context and the perspective of what I just said, but for uh, in terms of uh, 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 the ESPN FC crew, they had a field day with it for two days, Sunday night and Monday night, just ripping Guardiola for making the statement, the statement and thinking that he he's somehow lost the plot by saying it. But I, I have to say, I understand the perspective. Maybe it was a bit of hyperbole to say, oh, I've never been more proud of the team, or, so, or he said something along those lines. But I, I get why he said it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's move back to Saturday just for one match. I just want to point out what I watched, which was Bournemouth against Swansea. Uh, this one, Kartik, I'm worried about Swansea City at this point because um, you look at the table and go, okay, well, looks like Sunderland at this point looks pretty doomed uh, unless they get a, a quick run of uh, consecutive wins. Uh, Borough, uh, Swansea played them this uh, this weekend, so that's a six-pointer, really. If Swansea can win that one, that helps them uh, immensely. If they lose, it's it's between uh, Borough and Sw- Swansea. It's going to be really tight there. But to me, really, this relegation race at this point is to try to figure out who is going to be the, the third place team, uh, the third from bottom that will go down. And if you look at, if, if you say that Borough, uh, Borough and Sunderland go down, then it's basically between Crystal Palace, Hull City and Swansea. And Swansea in the last two games that they played, um, they lost to Hull, uh, they lost to Bournemouth, uh, both huge matches that, uh, you would think before the game starts, uh, you at least want to get a point out of those, but to lose both of them is, is a huge blow. But the, the worrying thing for me, Kartik, is that you look at Hull City. Hull City have played Swansea four times this season and have won all four games. They played them in the League Cup, they played them in the FA Cup, and they played them uh, in, in the league. And Swansea hasn't come close in any of those matches to, to winning. So Hull City has got a good chance. Palace is inconsistent. Uh, Swansea's really, I think, right at this point, suffering from a lack of depth. Uh, they had uh, some injuries to Marcus Olsen who's been scoring a lot of goals for them. Uh, so they're digging deep in terms of just um, injuries and problems there. 
and uh, they have to win this weekend. If they win this weekend, that'll give them a lift, and then hopefully that'll be enough to kind of boost their confidence. But but the Bournemouth-Swansea game, I mean, fair play to Bournemouth. I think they deserve to win this match, and uh, for Swansea fans like myself, it's um, worrying times. Yeah, I, I thought that this was... Uh a huge game for Bournemouth because they were came in on 30 points. I mean, they came they were at 27 points two weeks ago. People begin to think, oh gosh, they might get uh, they might get caught now. They might be in this relegation fight. If you look at their coming fixtures, they needed th- these six points that they got the last two weeks, and they got them. Uh, they're at 33 points. They're almost there. Uh, but uh, in a couple of weeks, we might be talking about nervousness around the Cherries if they're still sitting at 33 points. Yeah, yeah. And if Swansea had won that game, then it would have been really nervous times for Bournemouth. But I think that'll be enough for them to, to push up. And and I, th- I think they'll be safe at this point. Um, two other matches I want to point out that I watched this uh, past week. Uh, Barcelona against Valencia on Sunday. A really entertaining match. Uh, it was actually pretty close at some points where you looked at, looked at the game and thought, okay, maybe Valencia's going to... Uh, sneak a draw in this one, or perhaps a shark win. But um, the scoreline kind of, I mean, 4-2 kind of uh, at the end of the, the game kind of, uh, it sounded like a Barcelona kind of uh, monopolized this game, but that wasn't so. Plus, plus Valencia played with 10 men for most of the, the, the second half. So that definitely gave um, Barcelona the advantage. And they really had to work hard in this game to get three points. Uh, and and uh, co-commentary on this one was uh, Gary Bailey, uh, Thomas Rongen was last weekend, uh, the weekend before this one, and uh, Ray Hudson's still in uh, England, so that explains uh, why Gary Bailey was involved, and Gary Bailey did uh, did a great job, as did uh, Thomas Rongen the previous week. And then last but not least, Kartik, in terms of, I, I watched other matches too, but I, these are the ones I just want to point out. Germany against England, uh, the friendly on Wednesday. This one was kind of kind of depressing a little bit in terms of everything that had happened in London uh, earlier in the day. And uh, I was hoping to watch this one to kind of lift the spirits a little bit as some distraction or just something um, kind of uplifting. And uh, yes, the Podolski goal was fantastic, especially on his last goal for uh, uh, last before appearance for Germany uh, and being captain and, and a well-deserved goal. But the, the, the issue with this one was that ESPN3 had tech, technical problems. So the first 15 to 20 minutes of the game uh, wasn't watchable on ESPN3.com. They had uh, technical difficulties, and uh, that kind of ruined the beginning of the match. And uh, luckily, there were no goals scored in the first 20 minutes or so. Um, the ESPN Deporters feed was fine, um, as was the ESPN Deporters uh, online stream was fine. But uh, I don't get ESPN Deporters, so I wasn't able to watch it. So I had to kind of wait until ESPN3 came back. Uh, and it did finally, but um, I don't know. There's, there's been a lot of problems actually with ESPN three, uh, and we'll get to that in a little bit in terms of the, in the TV news scheduling news. But uh, but kind of disappointing there on, on ESPN's part. So, Kartik, any uh, any other? Th- yeah, I think I think um, it's also uh, fair to note that Podolski used the occasion of his final game to um, rally around Arsene Wenger and, and make a, make comments about that. Uh, obviously, as a former Arsenal player who spent three years at the club, I think you're going to get a lot of that in the next few weeks from former players uh, who feel very strongly uh, about Wenger and have a great deal of affection for him. So be prepared for that. And we're going to be talking about that a lot on this show and on all the the um, shows that cover this sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like he's going to stay, though. And and to me, then, it's if he does want to stay another season, 
then it becomes a matter of the board. If the board decides to to continue to you know, to renew his contract for one more year, whatever it may be, and then maybe next season would be his last season. But um, it's a yeah, it's a strange situation in terms of uh, the way it's looking to be set up. But it looks like he wants to go out on a high, and maybe he thinks he can do it for one more season and get a trophy, whatever it may be. Uh, but for Arsenal fans, I think rightly so. Um, I mean, it looks like now is the time to to pull the plug. But uh, I mean, it might be Avenger that's the one that's actually calls the shots in this one. All right, Kartik. So before we move on to the next segment, I do want to mention uh, our sponsor, which is SeatGeek. And uh, this past week has been a big one for them with uh, tickets to International Champions Cup going on sale. So buying tickets to sports and concerts can be very complicated, um, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With it, with their uh, mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek uh, helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way to, I've found to shop for tickets. Uh, I can be anywhere, and just with a few taps, I can instantly find uh, seats. The great thing about SeatGeek is it saves you time and money. It searches multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. Uh, it also uh, ranks them and grades them, every ticket, based on the value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets uh, on SeatGeek with confidence. So to uh, for listeners to the World Soccer Talk podcast, you get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter the promo code WSTPOD, and then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Now, Kartik, moving on to the next segment, which is talking about TV streaming news. We've got a lot to go through here. Um, the first one I'll kick off with is that, um, and actually I'm planning on writing the story about this today, so it'll be on worldsoccertalk.com uh, later Thursday with more detail. But Turner Sports has teamed up with Fox Sports to acquire the rights to the Argentine uh, Primera Division in Argentina. Um, the fee that's been uh, quoted um, or mentioned in the press is $206 million a year. It's a five-year deal. And uh, this one's interesting, too, because really, when you think about it, the Argentine League is not the most stable league. Uh, they've had problems with strikes, uh, delaying the start of the season. They've had problems with players getting paid on time. Uh, the quality of the league, I would say, is not as good as it used to be. Um, there's a lot of European scouts, cl- uh, clubs from, uh, uh, scouts from European clubs in Spain and, and England and elsewhere that are plucking the talents at, at a young age. So you're not seeing a lot of kind of the precocious talent that you would have done, say, a decade ago. But, uh, but overall, it's interesting that Turner has, uh, basically got together with Fox to beat out ESPN. And as far as we know right now, this is only for um, Argentina and Latin America, uh, but we'll find out, I guess, in the coming weeks whether or not uh, that also includes the United States. But uh, interesting news from uh, from uh, south of the border. And in Kartik, uh, another piece of information, too, as far as uh, this is one that, that, that a lot of our listeners and, and readers have been aware of, which is the company uh, NGSN. And they launched uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, basically an online streaming platform 
that had everything from the Eredivisie uh, to the Russian Premier League uh, to a lot of the leagues in, in South America, uh, including the Argentine League and uh, some other leagues too. I think I think the J League at some point too, the K League, but acquired a ton of uh, rights to to a ton of different leagues. And then all of a sudden, about a year ago, actually about a year ago this time, uh, they stopped. They they um, basically they put put the website down and had a message saying we're coming back this summer. So when I was at uh, the Sportel conference last week in Miami, um, what I heard actually was that the scuttlebutt on the floor, the rumors on the floor was that uh, NGSN is out of business and that there were several lawyers uh, at the at the conference looking for NGSN to talk about uh, money that had. That was owed to them, uh, and they're trying to track track them down. At the same time, though, I got a uh, an email. Actually, it was a comment on uh, on the World Soccer Talk uh, website from one of the readers uh, saying that they received an email from NGSN's uh, customer support saying that NGSN will return this summer with 19 leagues, uh, which I find hard to believe. But you never know in, in these types of things too. That's what NGSN said last year at this time that they were coming back. The summer 2016, that didn't happen. Uh, from what I heard, that they've been scrambling, trying to find investors. It's a mess, though. And at the end of the day, the, the people that are, I guess, hurt the most by this are the soccer fans because the Eredivisie, the Dutch League, um, and a lot of the other leagues, too. Now we have no access to these leagues. Uh, the other thing I heard, too, at Sportel Conference is a lot of those rights are now kind of back um, and available for um, people to buy. So, um, so depending on which side of the fence you hear in terms of if NGSN is, is still coming back or not, but, uh, a lot of activity there and a lot of, uh, a lot of confusion because we haven't heard anything official from NGSN or the leagues themselves. Now, Kartik, let me, uh, have you take it over in terms of NASL, in terms of the TV schedule announcement, uh, for the, the spring season, which is kicking off this weekend. Yeah, NASL is still around. They're still in business, barely. They have a pulse, the last time we checked. Uh, down to eight teams uh, and really kind of downsizing uh, just, just to kind of stay alive. Uh, they will still be on BN Sports this season on Saturday nights. I think the most interesting aspect, uh, no one world sports, by the way, which has now been acquired in, in, um, and I don't want to get too deep into this, inquired in some parts by 11 Sports, and we may have brought it up on the podcast last week, actually. Yeah. And no CBS Sports Network. Uh, that was a, a, a uh, an experiment that, that I think failed because, in large part, CBS Sports Network is not uh, on as many cable systems as uh, some folks would like and also is not thought of as a destination for soccer broadcasts. And, it, and in several uh, cases ended up preempting parts of games because they had some other live sporting event, whether it was uh, slow pitch uh, softball or something like that, that, that pushed, pushed it back. So they're going to be on uh, BN Sports again this year. I think the interesting thing is that the SF Deltas, uh, the San Francisco Deltas are going to be doing their home games via Twitter, which uh, puts uh, NASL in a kind of high-tech sphere that we see other live sporting events. Uh, the Sky Sports uh, uh, Deadline Day show was on Twitter this year. I watched it on, on January 31st. Uh, the PGA Tour is streaming many of its events, uh, the early rounds of them on Twitter, including this week's World Golf uh, Championship uh, Match Play Championship from Austin. And uh, a few weeks ago, the uh, World Golf Championship Mexico City Tournament was on um, was on Twitter. And I... I uh, Use Twitter to watch both of those. And then, uh, obviously, we've got Facebook Live with Liga MX 
and Major League Soccer. Major League Soccer's uh, debut was the Atlanta United game last week uh, on uh, on Facebook Live. So I think this is interesting. Uh, hopefully, it gives some reach for NASL. Uh, quite frankly, uh, the league uh, is downsizing. I don't think a lot of people are interested in the league. We saw that based on the TV ratings last year when there were 12 teams. I think you probably expect even fewer fans to follow the league this year. I, I personally don't have any rooting interest with the strikers not part of the league. For a lot of the strikers not part of the league any, anymore, at least for this season. And really, the lack of young players in the league makes it not... Uh, compelling viewing if you're trying to track players that might uh, might pop up somewhere in the future, which is why we watch lower divisions in Europe. So, um, good luck to them. But I think I think it's a it's a tough ask. And also, uh, one other point is because MLS has now shook up their television schedule. Uh, I had written a piece a year ago saying NASL has a great chance because they're they're uh, on Saturday night on BN, and there were no MLS games on national television that conflict with with them. Uh, a lot of people remember that piece and still chide me for it because it turns out NASL flopped badly ratings-wise. Uh, but what we see this year is because MLS has moved a lot of their telecasts around. There are ESPN... And um, not Fox games, but Fox uh, FS1 games remain on Sunday. But ESPN games and Univision games, Unimos games, and Univision Deportes games that that's in some cases end up on Saturday and end up competing with NASL games on BN. So that will be interesting to track. As will, uh, and I have to point this out again, the games that are coming up on Lifetime uh, for NWSL that will also conflict. I think we, uh, uh, John Tannenwald had done the research, right? It was uh, 10 or 12 games conflicted with MLS national broadcasts. So uh, maybe that number is high. Maybe it was 8 to 10. But still, there's going to be competition between the leagues in the United States this year for viewers on national television, something we've never had before. That makes it interesting, and let's see if that cannibalizes the audience further. So San Francisco Deltas, so they will have the, uh, I guess the rights, oh no, not the rights, but the, the recognition as the first professional soccer team in the United States to have their game shown live on Twitter. So that, that, that's something. Kartik, in terms of what you've heard, um, what can we expect, uh, if you, if you know, in terms of, um, the stadium, the atmosphere, how many people are going to be in the seats there? I mean, can we, can we expect kind of a really great atmosphere at those matches for the Deltas? I think there will be a good atmosphere because there, it's an urban atmosphere. It's uh, Kizar Stadium. As far as ticket sales, my understanding is that, that uh, they're, they've been slower than had been expected. Now, I would preface that or qualify that by saying the expectations, and this is what has gotten NASL into so much trouble, the expectations their clubs have about the number of people who are interested in going to see minor league soccer, uh, especially in some of these big urban areas like San Francisco, Miami, New York, etc., is... Uh, is out of whack. So they probably still will have good crowds and energetic crowds. They just haven't met the unrealistic expectations that have been set, perhaps uh, in the past, but now uh, NASL, because they are where they are, are becoming... I hope more realistic about their their place in in the soccer landscape, but they should have good atmosphere a uh, good atmosphere. But I think um, we might be spoiled for atmosphere now based on what we've seen out of Orlando with their new stadium, and especially out of Atlanta. Look, uh, uh, it, it seemed to be a problem that Atlanta's new stadium wasn't ready for them their launch. But the first two games at Bobby Dodd Stadium have had such a great atmosphere. I'm thinking, gosh, are, are they going to lose that when they go into uh, into uh, yeah, uh, the dome because right. yeah right into an NFL stadium because we know that college football stadiums are built 
uh, like uh, football, like uh, uh, soccer stadiums, football stadiums, international uh, European football stadiums are in Europe. That they're, you're close to the field. The acoustics are designed in such a way to be loud. This is uh, this is the difference between college football and NFL in this country. Is the acoustics and how loud those stadiums get. And I'm seeing at Bobby Dodd Stadium an incredible home field advantage for Atlanta United that I'm hoping they don't give up when they go to the new stadium. But um, uh, yeah, I is it. San Francisco will have a good atmosphere, but if you've been watching Atlanta or Orlando or, or even Minnesota's first game, it's not going to be like that. So, so two more things just to add to the NESL TV schedule. One is that most of the games are on ESPN3, which is good news in terms of making it very accessible. I just hope that whatever problems that ESPN3 has been having with technical issues, that they resolve that. And it's not, it wasn't just the Germany-England game, but there was the, I think, the Czech Republic-Lithuania game had problems on the same day, on Wednesday. Also, I've heard that the uh, the World Baseball Championship that they had recently, that was having problems too. So whatever the issues are, ho- hopefully they'll resolve that. Uh, BN Sports, we'll have to wait and see. So the opening game from BN Sports this weekend is on the regular BN Sports channel, and we'll have to wait and see in terms of the rest of the year as uh, some of these college sports start happening, whether or not uh, it's the games will be moved to BN Sports and uh, Espanol, or if they'll be on BN Sports, the regular channel. In other news, so uh, by the time you listen to this part, uh, the games might be over, but two of Thursday's UEFA Women's Champions League games uh, will be available in the United States to listeners. And uh, the first game is on BN Sports Connect, which is, uh, which is a new edition. And uh, they just announced that this week that they're going to be showing the Bayern Munich against PSG game at 2 p.m. Eastern on uh, March, what, 20, 22nd. Uh, on the Thursday, actually 23rd, I'm sorry. And then uh, also the other one too, the bigger one out of the two is um, uh, Fortuna Höring is playing Manchester City FC women's team, uh, of course, starring Carly Lloyd. That one is also at 2 p.m. Eastern. That one's on the site, and we talked about this a few weeks ago on the show and uh, revealed it, but it's a site, a site called mykujo.tv, uh, and I'm actually supposed to be interviewing the uh, the CEO I think, uh, next week to get, to learn more about what that service provides. But, uh, and as far as we know, what we've heard is that, uh, the second leg for the Manchester City women's team game against, uh, Fortuna Hurling is supposed to be on Facebook Live. Uh, the bad news is, is that so far no Olympic, uh, Lyonnaise women's team yet as far as access to that, uh, legally. And, uh, we want to see Alex Morgan, but we can't see her, uh, in the UEFA Champions League, um, yet. Hopefully that will change soon. And then last but not least, Kartik, some good news for MLS fans. Yeah, Sling TV has added the uh, local Comcast uh, sports networks, uh, CSN, CSN Washington, CSN Philadelphia, uh, to their streaming platform. So that gets you a number of games right off the bat, Philly, D.C. United, uh, and several others who are on local CSNs, which... um, which is the kind of uh, last remnant of NBC's MLS coverage, right? Uh, that uses the same graphics and same uh, lineups. I believe San Jose is it San Jose or Hugh, uh, is on a CSN. There, there are a number of teams that are, and I don't have that option on Sling TV to add the local CSNs, which will get you those those MLS games. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Philadelphia Union's on it, um, and I think there's actually a few teams that are on on there still. Uh, but anyway, that's good news for MLS fans in terms of being accessing uh, the local uh, team if they are available on that local Comcast Sports Network. It'll just be um, some 
you're you're and who watches games on NBC, you'll uh, have a comfort level with CSN's coverage of MLS because the graphics are the same and, and uh, the presentation is similar. Yeah, most definitely. Okay, so moving on to the next segment, which is TV ratings. Uh, the big one, we, ha- we don't have the numbers yet for, which is the Man City against Liverpool game. This is what the one that was on Sunday, uh, a very favorable uh, time slot, which is 12.30 to 2.30 uh, Eastern time. Uh, there was no NFL games, of course, uh, but that number we should be getting either today, Thursday, or tomorrow, Friday. But as soon as we get that number, we'll post that on worldsoccertalk.com. So we're looking at that one, hopefully being a million plus. We we're not sure exactly what that will be yet until we get the number. And then as far as some of the other TV ratings, um, MLS, there was the, the games this past weekend. Uh, we had uh, Seattle Sounders against New York Red Bulls, which is on the Sunday uh, that was the 7.30 to 9.30 Eastern time game, so prime time. Uh, that one had uh, 223,000 viewers uh, across FS1 and Fox Deporters. So a little bit uh, below the average, but still still pretty good. Um, and, then, and then in terms of some of the other ratings, so I kind of uh, teased this in the opening of the show, but there is a league that is giving the Premier League some heavy competition in terms of TV ratings. And that league is La Liga from Spain. So this past weekend, uh, of course, Real Madrid, Barcelona played. Uh, the Real Madrid game against Athletic, uh, Bilbao, that was on Saturday from 11 o'clock Eastern to 1 Eastern. Uh, that one across BN Sports, uh, Espanol and BN Sports had uh, 361,000 viewers. But the big one this past weekend was that that Sunday game that we mentioned before, which is the Barcelona against Valencia game. That was 3.45 to 5.45 Eastern. That one had 618,000 viewers. Now, of course, it's Barcelona, and those uh, those games usually get big numbers, but still, by BN Sports standards, they are pulling some major numbers for uh, for La Liga games, uh, usually the top two teams, but still, those are big numbers. And you look at the Premier League from this past weekend, uh, Chelsea against Stoke, uh, which is on the Saturday, uh, that was on NBCSN, that had 519,000. Uh, Spurs against Southampton, which is the, the Sunday morning game, that had 478,000 on NBCSN. Um, and then last but not least, Everton against Hull, which was on Saturday on CNBC, that one had the least amount of viewers uh, ever for a Premier League game uh, across the NBC Sports uh, networks, and that had 23,000 viewers. So, uh, so that one, of course, is not a lot of Hull supporters in this country, but with Everton uh, moving up the table, you would think that they would have a lot more viewers than 23,000. So, um, the average viewing audience for the Premier League this season thus far, and we talked about this, uh, I think it was on the last episode or the episode before about the Premier League TV ratings plateauing. Well, the average viewing audience for the Premier League this season is down 14% from last season, and the league currently is averaging 386,000. Uh, so I think they're in need, Kartik of having this Man City against Liverpool match from this past weekend, having some big numbers on that one to have something positive uh, to, to share with uh, the industry. Yeah, and as I think we've talked about several times now on the show the last few weeks, La Liga seems to be catching the Premier League in terms of overall support in the United States, which means if 
be in were to either get in more households, which I think is unlikely, or uh, it were to jump, the rights were to go to Turner Sports or Fox Sports or somebody else. Turner, presumably, would be the, uh, or ESPN. Uh, then you might see the Premier League and NBC really be up against it in, in terms of, uh, of of how popular the league is. Now, this stuff is very cyclical, though, and at some point, I think Premier League clubs will probably start performing better in Europe again. Uh, I'm not sure when that's going to be. It's uh, it's now been a, a pretty long dry spell for Premier League clubs uh, as far as their overall competitiveness in the Champions League, but when that changes again, I think the perceptions change, and right now, the feeling is Spain because of the success of uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Atleti in uh, Champions League and Sevilla uh, in Europa League the last few years, the, 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 the sense is it's the best league in the world and it's worth watching. Uh, however, there are still stronger cultural ties and, um, and, and uh, fam- familiar ties and all of this in English language broadcast to England. So when English English clubs begin striking back in Champions League, I think maybe you'll see some sort of reverse. But for the time being, I think England is very much on the defensive in terms of its TV profile or its popularity in the United States. Um, it seems you've, you've hit a, a, a point of diminishing returns. Let's see if that changes. I think it might. But uh, for now, uh, La Liga is the league. Yeah, and actually La Liga's made some big changes this season. I mean, the TV production is much, much better this season than last season. Uh, I don't know if it's more camera angles or if it's just, but it looks like there's been a lot more attention uh, put into the production of soccer games from La Liga. And at the end of the day, it looks better, which which is uh, for the, what the TV viewer wants. The other thing that they've done really well this season too is they've uh, they've definitely scattered the Real Madrid and, and Barcelona games. So rather than having them, which sometimes in the past they would play at the same time, uh, you mean in different parts of Spain, now they've had it staggered where maybe Real Madrid plays on the Saturday, Barcelona plays on the Sunday. Or sometimes kind of a double header where one's playing in the morning, one's playing right after that one in the afternoon. And uh, at the end of the day, I mean, the football on display is entertaining. I mean, you've got some of the best players from around the world. Uh, Atleti, I mean, the atmospheres at uh, Vicente Calderon and all these other stadiums are just uh, electrifying. So it is a very attractive TV property. And, and uh, fair play to La Liga. They've made a very conscious effort on trying to improve the TV quality of the league and uh, also trying to um, grow it in the United States and in Asia and so far, they're doing a great job. And like you said, Kartik, if they did get an opportunity to, to move to a Turner Sports or to a Fox Sports uh, or an ESPN to kind of have these games elevated on a network that has more viewers, uh, that could be huge. That could be, and, and that would really give the Premier League some, uh, a heavy competitor, a serious competitor, which would be very difficult uh, to beat. All right, Kartik, next segment, listener mailbag. And we have a uh, an email from one of our listeners. His name is uh, Dave Brunk. And he says, uh, lads, uh, great work on the pods. I really enjoy them. An observation I recently had is that it seems to me that MLS scores tend to be higher than other leagues so far this season. Watching highlights from this past Saturday, uh, March 18th, there seemed to be a large number number of penalties awarded. Am I off base or have others noticed the same thing? I have a sneaking suspicion that this may be a tactic MLS is using to increase scoring to draw in casual viewers. Kartik, what do you think about that? Um, 
it's possible. Look, I mean, I've, I've had this theory for a long time that MLS encourages high scoring, which is why there has been an emphasis on DP signings being attackers or creative midfielders. And it's only now recently that uh, you've seen defenders signed as DPs. And in fact, a couple of years ago, uh, Don Garber personally killed the signing of Olaf Melborg, a uh, former Aston Villa defender, Swedish international, a really top player to Toronto FC as a DP, saying that that was not in his minds. Remember, these it's a single entity league. Uh, the, uh, a good use of uh, of uh, Toronto's resources because he was a defender. They wanted more scoring, and of course, Toronto after that goes out and signs Dravinko and Altidore and Bradley, all of whom are attack minded players to some some degree. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if the officials are under a directive, but certainly MLS as a league has tried to find ways to encourage high scoring and more, quote, entertaining games, but that has also left the league in a position where uh, defensively it, it's um, it's tough to watch the, uh, some of the defenses in Major League Soccer, which has been my concern about the Premier League, and I appreciate the email from Dave. Uh, people who are adherents to the Premier League, I get it every week, and get uh, uh, and who believe the Premier League is, is uh, the greatest thing since sliced bread will always get angry at me when I say, oh, well, the, the defending in the Premier League isn't up to snuff, the man marking isn't up to snuff, the bad giveaways, and uh, they'll say, well, it's entertaining, and it's because the league is so much faster, and they're better attacking players here than in Germany or Spain or uh, France or whatever league they're comparing it to. But I saw the same pattern take place in Major League Soccer, which is why I'm aware of how uh, quality of a league can be uh, can be sunk, and and kind of the um, the consequences have been the I think the uh, uh, stagnation or decline of the U.S. men's national team. Uh, England, of course, has had a similar decline. That if you're not uh, attuned to the defensive side of the ball, and you you don't have uh, coaches and uh, teams that are working uh, hard in training uh, with uh, on uh, playing without the ball. Kyle Martino points it out all the time, actually, on NBC. Then you have a decline in the overall quality of a league. And I think it's happened for sure for the Premier League. I do think there's been a decline in quality in the Premier League. Maybe not in terms of entertainment, but in terms of overall quality. And Major League Soccer has gone through that too in some respects. Uh, as uh, I think Dave points uh, points to the reason why, which is that the league has wanted uh, a higher scoring games, but I think it, it's really hurt the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And this past weekend, I think there was like 33 or 36 goals scored. But uh, in the previous two Two weeks. There were a bunch of nil-nil ties. So I, I'm with you, Kartik, in terms of uh, MLS, uh, especially DP signings, focusing on these kind of attacking players or midfield players, less so in defense. And uh, and and we saw this past weekend how that works out in terms of uh, more more goals and you uh, mean more entertainment. I mean that's kind of uh, the name of the game with MLS. Um, and yeah, and as far as the Premier League, I think the Premier League has really been exposed the last several years consistently in terms of just poor defensive. And uh, when they play in the Champions League, that gets really exposed when you have some teams that, that know how to play uh, and penetrate against uh, weaker defenses. And so Dave did mention one other thing, and this is coming from Dave, so this is not coming from us, but Dave says, he says, I believe that Lalas may have been intoxicated during the Sounders uh, Red Bulls game. He came across as giddy, silly, and many of his points made little sense, uh, little, uh, made little sense more than normal. And Kartik, this is, 
Because actually, I, I tuned into this match for about five minutes. Because again, it was my, my my daughter's birthday, so I, I wasn't able to do a lot of watch, soccer watching. But there was I, I tuned in, and it was like about twenty seconds of silence. And I'm thinking, oh my, my gosh, like no one's speaking. It's like a really slow and labored game. And then John Strong started talking about I mean, whoever had possession, whatever it was. And then maybe about a minute later, I'm like, wow, he's doing this one all by himself. There's no co-commentator. And then all of a sudden, Lalas popped up and, and said something. And I was like, oh, okay. It just seemed like a really strange broadcast from when, from what I heard. And that was just from a couple of minutes. I actually didn't see this game. So quite honestly, I, I'm not I'm not sure about it. But there has been... There's been some inconsistencies in in the strong lawless team, and it's been more on lawless because strong is fantastic. Uh, there have been some games where lawless, and I mentioned it a few weeks ago. They had two games in one weekend on Fox, and I thought lawless was very weak in one of the games, which was the Atlanta Red Bull game, and I thought he was very strong in another, which was the Portland uh, Minnesota game that weekend. So I um, I don't know. I mean, did, did maybe Sunday night's not his night because right. he was great on a Friday night and was ter- uh, I thought pretty terrible on that Sunday that weekend. So maybe that's uh, maybe that's it. Yeah. Also, uh, overworked from Champions League, although there was no Champions League last week. Yeah. So, although there was Champions League last week, of course. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that had something to do with it. Yeah, and, and it could be too. If he's sounding giddy or silly, it might, it might be just from being tired and just, just you mean, burned out and just uh, having some fun. So, uh, so that, that, that's all I was going to say. Um, if you do have any questions or feedback, uh, or want to, um, let us know some, some of your, uh, points in terms of some of the things we've been talking about, be sure to email us, uh, web at worldsoccertalk.com or hit us up on Twitter at, uh, at, uh, wsoccertalk or on facebook.com uh, slash worldsoccertalk. We'd love to hear from you. Last but not least, Kartik, our feature topic of the week. And this one is an interesting one. And that is, I guess this would be kind of a, uh, possibly, I mean, I mean it, it's an idea. And the, the, the idea is the impact of Fox Sports now being out of the European club soccer game, apart from the Bundesliga, after having lost uh, the UEFA Champions League. And they'll have it for one more season. That The 2017-18 season is the final one for the UEFA Champions League. But the Bundesliga apart, this is a network now, Kartik, that's had its roots in the European club soccer game with the Premier League and the Fox Soccer Channel. And they had a bunch of other leagues too, including Serie A. Uh, they lost all of those. Now Fox Sports will be without European club soccer games uh, after it completes the UEFA Champions League at the end of the next season. What does that mean for Fox Sports and its viewers? Yeah, I think overall Fox uh, is gearing itself towards promoting American topics and uh, the Americanism of soccer. Uh, this is uh, this is at an ironic time because I think what you're finding is that uh, uh, the national team is in a weaker place than than uh, any point in the last 20 years, and there is a general fear of. Um, uh, of, of what might come next. And I should point out uh, a contempt for, uh, a, a growing contempt for Major League Soccer and U.S. Soccer among some fans, some hardcore fans, uh, whether that's fair or not. So um, I think they are using their platforms to promote American soccer for better or for worse. And it's... Um, 
it's interesting because you've seen this shift uh, because they had their roots, as you mentioned, in covering the Premier League, covering uh, uh, other things through Fox Sports World. They had all the leagues at one point. And uh, we, we got familiar with people like Nick Webster, who used to host his show, and, and Max Bredos and others, Christian Miles, through that. And they've kind of shifted to this very uh, Americanized focus of uh, of the sport. And... Uh, he, in turn, guys like Webster and Miles have been, have been squeezed out. Uh, Bredo's moved to ESPN where uh, he does all sports, but he, he still does some soccer. In fact, he made an appearance at the ICC draw, was actually hosting that uh, on um, Monday, I believe it was. But um, I think their, their move, their editorial drift is away from European club football anyway, unless there were American players playing uh, at, at these clubs, which is why the Bundesliga fits what they're doing, because there are so many U.S. men's national team ties to the Bundesliga, which you don't have to the Premier League anymore. You certainly don't have to La Liga at all, or Serie A at all. So, they are, um, I, I think that what you're going to see now is um, a very Americanized product which tries to get fans of the U.S. men's national team which is a greater greater number than people who watch uh, Major League Soccer and the Bundesliga combined into watching the properties they have, and then use the FIFA tournaments they have, such as the Confederations Cup, to try and push this narrative. Now, I, I think we cannot underestimate the number of people who are hardcore soccer fans. I don't know the numbers because, again, the, the soccer pool of hardcore soccer fans is small, but the, the vacuum we live in, Chris, you and I live in, and that we, we talk to people in, the number of English speaking Anglo um, you know, white Americans that will be watching uh, these competitions on Telemundo because they don't like Fox and they don't like the, the, the narrative. They don't like the loud graphics. They don't like the, the Americanization of everything. There will be a segment of, uh, of that people. They're generally people who favor European football anyway. So they will be watching this league on Fox. Uh, excuse me. They will be watching the uh, things on Telemundo, uh, the, the FIFA tournaments, and not watching other things on Fox. So their pie is really limited to kind of casual Americanized sports fans who watch the U.S. men's national team but are not into MLS or the Bundesliga yet, and their goal is to get them into those leagues. It's strange in a way, though, too, can't it? Because there's a lot of people we, we know from the TV ratings, so we, we publish those each week, so we look at those numbers, and we know that there's very few people that are watching the Bundesliga, uh, unless it's a major, major game on a, you mean, over-the-air network, but averaging, I mean, Bund, uh, Bayern Munich is getting less than 100,000 viewers per game. If they get 100,000, it's a big deal for them, uh, week in, week out. We know that there's a lot of people that are not watching Major League Soccer. We look at the numbers for La Liga and Liga MX and look at those numbers and go, okay, wow, these are big numbers in comparison to a lot of the MLS games. And yes, some MLS games get get high numbers when they're on over-the-air television. So for the most part, most of the average soccer fans in the United States um, don't watch Bundesliga and don't watch a lot of MLS. So for Fox Sports... Essentially from, I mean, the European calendar, so you go from August all the way through to May, there's very little reason for, say, the average soccer fan to watch Fox Sports because, I mean, after they lose the Champions League, I mean, are you going to, I mean, most soccer fans, are they going to watch Fox Sports from Mondays through Fridays? Yes, they may tune in on the weekends to catch whatever game may, may be on when there isn't the Premier League game on or there isn't the Liga, Liga MX game on. 
But for the most part, that audience is gone. I mean, that audience will come back. Yes, they will come back for the Gold Cup or Copa America 2020, which is kind of rumored, uh, which might be on Fox, who knows, um, as well as the World Cup. And even with the, with the World Cup, like you said, Kartik, they have a choice of watching Telemundo if they want to. So it, it's, it's a strange thing. I, th- I think it, this year, the next six months, I think are going to be very interesting times for Fox because we'll find out uh, in terms of some of these rights deals, uh, specifically the FA Cup as, as a major one, whether they're actually able to renew that one. That gives them a little bit of uh, relevance in terms of you mean, kind of January, February, March, uh, April, May, in terms of having some European uh, soccer on television other than the, the Bundesliga. But again, that's a cup competition. That's not week in, week out. So I, I just think with, with losing the Champions League, this gives Fox a big blow. It is almost kind of... Kind of, maybe this is what Fox wanted all along, though, Kartik, because they've got a, uh, an audience that are, well, Fox is very much rah, rah, USA, uh, and that's focused around the national team and the women's national team. And when the going's good and they're doing well, then fantastic. Uh, when they're not doing so well, then it's a tough time. And both the men's side and the women's side are going through a tough time right now in terms of, uh, transitioning. To the next stage of, of their uh, of their being, so to speak, uh, and then you've got MLS, which to me is uh, it's quality, but it's very much hyped up uh, from kind of the Fox Sports. I mean, they're kind of just hyping everything up. So it is an inter- interesting time where Fox Sports is positioned right now, and uh, with them not having uh, really, other than the Bundesliga, really much of a relevance with European soccer, club soccer, after they lose the Champions League. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, a big danger also, Chris, is that Fox has this tendency to, to cater just to the American audience and overhype uh, the U.S.'s uh, uh, ability to win uh, these tournament 2015 World Cup. We uh, were thinking, uh, not just you and me, a lot of people in the, in the industry and the business were thinking at the time, oh my goodness, what's going to happen when the U.S. loses a semifinal to France or Germany? And as it turns out, they didn't. What are they're going to do for the final. We saw the net effect of it in the Gold Cup later that summer when the U.S. lost in the semifinals to Jamaica, was stunned by Jamaica, and the pregame show for the final ended up being about the future of Team USA more than it was about the... Yeah, Kartik, Kartik. Yeah, that, and that's the thing, though, too. The women's team, I mean, it went all the way and won the World Cup, which is fantastic, but they built the entire, everything about the women's World Cup into the, you mean, putting the USA on, on a pedestal. Luckily for them, I mean, they did it. They went all the way, and the TV ratings yeah, are reflection. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I, I felt like that if if they had lost, many of us in the business thought they would lose that game, yeah. to lose to either Germany or France when they got to that point with the way it was bracketed, that they were going to have this problem in the final like they did in the Gold Cup where the entire pregame show, or most of it, was about the future of Team USA. And what are they going to do in a World Cup which either the U.S. doesn't qualify for or is out in the group stage? Uh, I think that that's the likely reality now. Um but they have to reassess how they cover this stuff. And they have less incentive to be broader based in their coverage now that they've lost UEFA Champions League rights to Turner Sports. So I think this is a concern for viewers. Um, I, the guys at Fox are smart guys, and, and I think that they they think that the only way they can grow the audience is to go in the direction that they're going. But um, at the same time, they're alienating core soccer fans, and uh, they may 
not have much of a base left for their properties uh, if they alienate those fans uh, beyond recognition in the next few years. Yeah, that, that, that's the thing, Kartik, too, because when you think about it, there is a, a big difference between national, international soccer and club soccer. I mean, there's two camps. I mean, there's a lot of people that love international, national soccer, love kind of watching the country play. Others that kind of just want to watch more of the club soccer game and kind of get into the week in, week out. Uh, I mean, they're they're two different games. So Fox is definitely, um, they're in the camp of the national sports. And and yes, with that comes a lot of passion and and patriotism, but also, and and then a lot of scandals with FIFA, etc. But that happens usually like, what, every every summer, if you're lucky, in terms of uh, tournaments, whichever ones they may be. Uh, but yeah, Fox is losing out on this club soccer game after the Champions League. And maybe that's it. Maybe La Liga is the one that they go after and make a strong push for that. I think the rights are up in, I think, 2019, I think it is. But uh, it's coming up pretty soon. Um, I don't know. I, I think Fox has to go for the club soccer TV rights in terms of trying to pick up something of relevance to kind of keep those that audience from, from August to May, keep them hooked so they're continuing to watch Fox Sports and then hoping that they tune in in the summer times to watch whether it's Gold Cup or World Cups or Confederations Cups, etc. And then, Kartik, I think one of the biggest losers in all of this is Rob Stone. <laughs> Poor old Rob Stone. Yeah. I mean, once the Champions League is over, they will see Rob Stone, like, what, once every few months for uh, a USA game or a Mexico game or uh, a tournament? Um, and he, but then again, though, too, I mean, look at uh, the talent. You look at Ian Joy. I mean, Ian Joy looks like he was hired for club soccer in terms of the Bundesliga. Uh, now he's kind of doing a whole bunch of things, doing co-commentary here, doing some temporary hosting there. Um, but he's missing out this, on this, too. So who knows? Who knows within uh, Fox Sports, maybe there'll be some... T- changes in talent where some talent might say like hey now that they've, they've lost the rights to the champions league maybe it's better off that i go to a different network mike turner sports that's going to have that that uh, available and and maybe that's closer nearer and dearer to a person like ian joy or or winalda wh- whoever it may be but there might be a lot of changes on on that side of things too in terms of almost like a domino effect that so people go to turner sports and then uh you mean that leaves gaps in that fox sports for them to fill with some other um, talent. Yeah. I, I, I think in terms of, of this, I mean, it, it, you, losing the Champions League for Fox is a major deal, um, not just for Fox Sports, but also for the viewers. And I think Fox, I'm, I'm sure they're, they're making a lot of conscious efforts in, in terms of trying to acquire other rights and just, um, just trying to st- bolster what, what they have. I mean, they already have the, the international game or the national games, uh, competitions kind of wrapped up other than the uh, Euro 2020 and the Nations League, which is with ESPN. But uh, they've got a strong foundation. Hopefully they'll, they'll build upon that and hopefully they'll pick up some of these club soccer rights. Uh, anything else to add, finally, Kartik, uh, on this topic? No, I mean, I guess uh, we'll see what they do uh, since you've reported earlier that they've got some uh, tie with the Argentine rights with Turner Sports. I mean, we were presu- maybe presuming that's more of a, a Turner deal, but uh, they have the ability to show some of those games uh, if uh, uh, on various platforms, probably more likely Deportes, but that still keeps them uh, in the... Uh, the soccer game uh, in Latin America, at least, is, as far as uh, outside the United States and outside kind of the very narrow American prism they seem to be taking. 
Yeah, and, and that's one, one interesting thing I'll just add to that too is uh, with Turner Sports, their acquisition with Fox Sports of the Argentine League, uh, league in Argentina is, is a play for the over-the-top, kind of a set-top box. So they're looking at uh, for the Argentine League as of 2019, I believe, uh, is having a, a streaming product available so that people in Argentina can watch all the Argentine games uh, from that league as a streaming uh, option. And that could be a hint, too, as far as the UEFA Champions League in the United States once uh, Tony Sports uh, starts that up in 2018, so just over a year from now, whether that might be a streaming uh, play rather than just uh, just a TV play uh, or a combination. We'll have to wait and see still. We still don't know uh, any details, but that, that's what we know so far, as, at least from uh, from Argentina. So, Kartik, where can listeners find you on the internet if they want to um, send you a message or uh, send you uh, some comments? Easiest, easiest place is at KKFLA737. All right. So, thanks for listening. If you can, you can get a new episode of this podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, Audio Boom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. And, Kartik, over to you. Unless you're Arsene Wenger, you're enjoying your football.